Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you please open them up to the book of 1 John chapter 3. Uh, that's where we are going to be this morning. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 3. So this is our, uh, our fourth session here in, in 1 John, and we're going to have one more next week. Actually, Zula will be preaching uh, next week. So uh, he thought he was preaching this week, so he called me Friday um, to say, what am I preaching on again? And uh, uh, I reminded him he had another week. So he, is, he has been getting ready and, and preparing for that. He's got a lot of good things to share with you, so I'm looking forward uh, to what he has to say next week. Uh, but we've uh, been here in, in First John looking at this book, and you know, this was a book that, uh, or is a book that I've studied several times before, I've, I've use different uh, chapters and references and classes and sermons and things that I've taught. Uh, but this time around, there were some things that have really, that really stuck out to me that maybe I haven't uh, paid as much attention to before. And one of the things that is really important to John in the writing of this book is that he believes that Christians should stand out from the culture around them. And, and we've talked a little bit about this. In fact, we talked about it last week. Um, when we sort of talked about the the Christian community and their response to everything that was going on in Houston. And here's sort of a basic premise that that we've been working with. Uh, We have standards of living as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, that the rest of the world does not have. And as we live out these standards, we will distinguish ourselves from uh, the world around us. And John establishes very early on that there is there are a lot of things that are wrong with this world. That sin exists in this place, that you can either walk in the light or you can walk in the darkness. So there are things that we do that can either reflect our relationship with God, and there are things that we can do that show that we are, that reflect the values of the world. But as he said, again, so early on, we can either be in the light or we can be in the darkness, but you can't be in both. It can only be one way or the other. And then he hits on this several times over and over again, that the way that we are able to walk in the light, the way that our lives are changed, is all through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who makes all things possible for us, that brings us from darkness into life, that changes who we are. But we still have to wrestle with this idea. Um, and and I actually, I've had, I've had so many good conversations with people uh, over the last uh, four weeks that we've done this series, just things that have been that have come up uh, over and over again, and 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 here's the thing that that we uh, that we wrestle with and, and we struggle with um, when we claim Jesus Christ, we are claiming uh, different rules from the world, a different set of values uh, than those around us, a different lifestyle, but it is all motivated by the change that Jesus brings about in us his love for us and our love for other people. And one of the things when we start talking about our actions, our behavior, the kinds of things that we do, it's hard for us to walk that line and to understand how it works. Do you know what I'm saying? So our behavior matters, right? But we know that we're going to fail because we're sinners, right? And so Jesus is the one who brings us into relationship with God by forgiving us and asking or, or in granting us mercy for our sins. But 
How do we understand this relationship between these two things, between trying to live up to some sort of expectation, but also living under the grace of Jesus Christ? So John has been trying to address this with us by, by pointing out how much we need Jesus and then calling us to an extremely high standard of living. And the thing about this kind of discussion or going through this kind of this kind of book here is that when it comes to a discussion about our behavior and what we do, we tend to stall a little bit on this topic. And I don't, I don't know what it's like for you, but I mean, this is what is true for me. When, when we start talking about how to live a certain way or how to do certain things, uh, I tend to stall out a little bit in this area. Um, and, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One of them is, that if I'm going to start to ask myself, okay, how do I live like Jesus Christ? The answers that I come up to with that question tend to be pretty complex and difficult for me to know how to carry out. And sometimes in my worst moments, things that are too complex or difficult for me to carry out, it's just easier to sort of like put that away. So when John calls me to this higher standard of living, I look at it, I look at how Jesus lived, I look at what he did, at what he did. I know that I'm saved by his grace, I know that I'm motivated by that, and yet there is still a part of me that is intimidated by the life that Jesus may be calling me to. And, and sometimes it's hard to know where to even start. Like, where is my first step? What is the first thing that I need to do? And then on the other hand, with us, we have shown a tendency to make following Jesus more about some sort of a checklist of things that we're supposed to do. And we've talked about this a lot when we went through the Sermon on the Mount and here in the book of 1 John. That it can be so easy for us to turn this life of living for Jesus into a list of the right things to do and a list of the wrong things to do. And then we evaluate how we're doing based on that. But John has been challenging us to move past that particular way of thinking. That it's not just about what you do or what you don't do, that it's about who you are. It's about how you live. And he has been challenging us to both live and love like Jesus did. And if we are going to challenge ourselves to live and love like Jesus did, again, we find ourselves in water that just feels so deep almost immediately. Because Jesus lived and loved in such an extraordinary way. So, what is John's answer? Well, unfortunately, we've already talked about it three times. But we're going to talk about it again. And when I was putting this series together, I'm like, shoot. John is talking about the same thing again. And this is what's next. In fact, in your Bibles, if you look down in chapter 3, this is at least what it said in my Bible, it said more about love and hate. Like, that's the best that the people who are putting this together could come up with. Like, love and hate part C, right, is what we're on. But somehow, John sees this as the connecting tissue to this whole thing. That if, if we are going to change our lives, if we are going to live a different way, then this is the key to changing. This is the key to living a different life. This is the key to being like Jesus. So let's look here in John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, I should say, starting in verse 11. 
For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now is your head spinning yet? Because there's a lot that's happening there. Okay? Stay, stay in it here. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Let's pray. God, we are challenged by these words this morning because there is so much there. So much that speaks to us in in different ways and touches different parts of our lives and our hearts. Father, I pray that this morning we will not be overwhelmed by what we see, but that we would be motivated to become the kind of people that you want us to be. May our eyes and ears be open to see and hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, where do we start? Where, where do we start here? Um, the key, what John wants for us is to be like who? Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus. This is not a new concept for us, right? And the key to being like Jesus is what? That you will love. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how we look at this verse or we talk about living the Christian life or we talk about salvation and we make things so complex. We make being faithful or believing in God so complex. We make living the Christian life so complex. And yet at the end of all of these things, look, if you're still there, look at what John says again. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Yes, we have already talked about this. And we have heard it in a million different ways if you've spent any time going to church. But here's the thing. In the mind of John, the love of God and the love that is produced in the hearts 
of those who follow him is anything but a casual principle and something that you just understand in your head. If you were to love like God loves, if you were to love like Jesus loved, you would find that the actual acting out of this love would call you well past the realm of comfortable and into the domain of, I'm not sure I can do that. That's why these words are so challenging to me. Because it is not easy what John is asking of us. Because we know for any of us, for any of us who have recognized the sin that we have, which John talked about in chapter 1, for any of us that realize we were once in the darkness and brought into the light by Jesus Christ, the one thing we should know is that the love of God is revolutionary, radical, and life-changing. Because it changed who we are. It changed our entire situation. It changed our entire lives. And therefore, the thought for me of acting that out in the world is overwhelming. But John makes some compelling points here along the way. And the first one is this. From the very beginning, God expected his people to be characterized by uncommon love. Now we have to think about these terms because you know we talk about the love of God in so many different ways but let's I want this term uncommon love to sink into your head for a moment. Leviticus chapter 19:18 John said that from the very beginning this was the rule and this is something we get from uh, the very beginning of God's story. But listen to what he says this command do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, first question. Why does God feel like he needs to make this a command? Because what do we naturally do? If someone hurts us, what do we want to do? Hurt them back. And if someone wrongs us, when do we let that slide? <laughs> when we're good and well ready, that's when. <laughs> right? This is our natural tendency. To want revenge and to hold grudges. To remember. To remember who wronged us, when they wronged us how they wronged us. I've, I've often, you know, this is not just us, by the way. This is not just church people. The reason why I think it stands out in relief, such stark relief with church people, is because we know better or should know better. But sometimes it feels like in the church, someone will come and will ask for forgiveness and sometimes it feels like we don't know if we're quite ready to forgive them. Like, how sorry do you feel? Do you feel as sorry as I think you should feel? Because if you don't, well then, I will withhold forgiveness. And we have done this over and over again. 
Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I love how he caps it with that statement. But God, no, 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 don't but God me. I am the Lord. And I told you to do this. Therefore, do it. It's a very God thing to say. But it is interesting to note that God has to command us in this way. And it tells us what our normal tendencies are, which brings us back to this idea. We are to love uncommonly. We are to love in a way where we say, because of God, I will put aside what my natural tendency is, I will put aside what I think I deserve in this moment and I will love. And I will love. There was never a point in time when the people of God were not called to love one another and to love like God loves. That has never existed. God has always expected us to love. So what do we have to change about how we understand love in order to make this work? Well, there's a term that we really like as a church and as Christians, and that term is unconditional love. Yeah? And we understand unconditional love as being love without condition. Now, I know that's what it says. But that concept is actually much more complex than we want to give it credit for being. Love without condition, which technically means what? That you will just love. And how will you decide if you're going to love? You won't, you'll just love. Because there are no conditions to this thing. Okay? Unconditional love. And we love this term, and we should, because it most relates to how who loves who. How God loves us. And don't we want God to love us unconditionally? It's a really good thing he does. It's a really, really good thing that God loves us unconditionally. But for us, naturally, we practice conditional love. And we practice conditional love in every area of our lives. There is not an area of your life where you practice unconditional love. Now, you may want to disagree with me on that, but let me explain. We can claim, let's just say, four main areas of love. So, uh, I'll call them this. We can love our families. We can love our friends. We can love our church family and then everyone else, right? Does that sound fair? Sort of a fair breakdown there. Now, if we were to compare our love for these different groups of people, we would move, starting with our family, from less conditional to more conditional. All right? So we can honestly claim that we love our family with the greatest amount of unconditional love, even though there are still conditions, all the way down to other people where we're going to have more standards in terms of how or when we love these people. 
Now, we may want to think, right, that we love our parents unconditionally, that we love our spouses unconditionally, that we love our children unconditionally. But all of you in this room are now thinking of the relationship that you're in that challenges the idea of unconditional love the most. Because here is what is true. In all of these relationships, even these closest ones, parents, uh, spouse, children, we have expectations for those people, don't we? We expect our spouses to live up to certain things in our lives. We expect our parents to do certain things for us. We expect our children to treat us in a certain way. Yes? And when those things are violated, we are forced to make a choice. The choice on how we are going to continue to love. Marriages end. Parents and children stop talking to each other. Relationships are strained all the time. All the time. We practice conditional love. This is what we do. So John launches into an example here to help us understand a little bit. And this example is so hard. You wouldn't think it would be because it's Cain and Abel. And we've, if you grew up in church, you know the story of Cain and Abel. And there is a clear good guy and a clear bad guy. And it's just like, but the way that John tells this story is really challenging to me. And, and so let's look at that part again. Um, it's not going to be up on the screen right now, but starting in verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So he launches into this example. Cain and Abel were the first brothers. They were the children uh, of Adam and Eve. And they went to make an offering to God. And Abel offered God the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. And Cain offered some of the fruit that he had grown. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain, and this upset Cain. And he took his bitterness with God out on Abel. So he killed Abel and was cast away from God. Now, as we look at this story, the question I want us to evaluate just for a second is, what was Cain's sin? There was a problem with Cain. And where was the problem? It was in his heart. Okay? It was, there was a problem with, with Cain in his heart. And, and we know that because initially, this started out as a failure to make the right kind of sacrifice. Abel makes the right kind of sacrifice, Cain doesn't. Now, Cain can respond to this in a multitude of different ways. What is the most obvious thing that he should do? Make a better sacrifice. Okay, if this was the purpose, to sacrifice something to God, the most obvious thing that he should do is go and make a better sacrifice. Figure out how to do that. It would be fair even to look at this story and to say, well, Cain didn't know what to do yet. But we see actually that there is something wrong with Cain's heart because of how he responds to this thing. 
because the offering was really not the problem. The problem was, as John points out, that Abel belonged to God and Cain didn't. And so Cain's reaction to this thing, instead of deciding how we can please God, his reaction is to kill his only brother. And this action completely isolates him from God. both because it was awful and because it was a sin, but just as important through the eyes of John was that Cain made a huge mistake. He could have been like God, but he wasn't. And how was he not like God? He chose not to love. He chose to get angry and let that anger turn to hate and let that lead to murder. That is what sets him apart from God. The hallmark of one who has no relationship with God is that they show an unwillingness to love other people. They show an unwillingness to love other people. That is dead on proof they don't know God. Right there. Therefore, John argues that we should not be surprised when we are hated by the world around us. Look at verses 13 through 15. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. John pulls a little bit of Jesus on us here, doesn't he? Right? What did Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother has already committed murder in his heart. But we see it again here, and it is a difficult association for us. He is laying a path. That is so challenging. Anger, dislike, hate, all of these things make you a murderer. And it sets you apart, completely apart from God. There is a great change that has to take place inside those who walk with God. And the way that John illustrates it is this. When you come into a relationship with God, you have passed from death, to life. You have passed from, this is how significant the change is inside of you. You have passed from death to life. You are fundamentally altered. And those who have made this transition from death into life, they will love other people, even those that stand against them. But those who refuse to love other people show that they have not made the transition from death to life. They are still in death. So why have these people made the transition? Well, think about coming from death to life. I don't know if any of you have had an experience where you felt like my life could have just ended. Have any of you had those kind of experiences? In the aftermath of that moment... (laughs) where your life could have just ended. How do you feel? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? 
you're grateful, you're thankful, you want to call like your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad. I just, you know, I, this is so this is so crazy, and that's almost happened. And you just like you real you're you're overwhelmed by those things. And at least for those few moments afterwards, life feels different. Life feels different. John expects that we will view our entire life that way. We have been moved from death to life. And that is a (laughs) life-altering experience. To have life when you didn't. To be given this opportunity or this chance when you didn't have it before. And when you live in the realization of that, guess what you are going to do? You're going to love the snot out of everyone. Because you, you know where you were. But this is something important for us to understand. And maybe one of the reasons why we struggle with the idea of loving like Jesus so much is that loving like Jesus can't just be an intellectual decision that you make. You know? Like, yes, we need to decide other people, but we're learning something else, is that this loving other people like God in Jesus comes from inside. It comes from who we actually are. It it comes from how we understand ourselves in God. It comes from how we view the world. Because if we're just trying to make a decision to love other people, we are going to fail over and over and over again if we don't feel it inside of us. People who know God love. People who do not know God do not love. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, good. He's finally gotten to the practical part, right? Uh, Yeah, great. So here's what he first says This is how we know what love is. That's a huge statement right there. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. And this gets back to Leviticus. It gets back to why God has to say these things. And here's the basic premise. We do not know what love is apart from Jesus Christ. Because every love apart from Jesus Christ is conditional. And every love apart from Jesus Christ is going to be slave to our own emotions and feelings and our rights and the things that we think we should have. The love of God in Jesus Christ is different from the love that we have inside of us. Our natural human love. And the only way we actually know what love is, is because Jesus died for us. Now, think for just a second about everything that had to go in to Jesus Christ dying for us. Jesus had to choose, yes, to come and die for us. And then he he had to come live in this place where people treated him really well and other people treated him horribly. 
And then these people that he had come to love and to show the love of God to, these people killed him in the most horrible way imaginable at the time. That would take the longest and hurt the most. This is what Jesus went through in order to get to the place where he could offer us forgiveness. And this is the point that I think John is making. That is what love is. You deciding not to hold this grudge against someone for a moment or two. That's not... Look at love. Look at the two things. Like This is what you're aspiring to. This is what you are reaching for. Jesus chose to love us in spite of all of these things. And this is what love is. And so then he just continues, just burns right through the thought. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for his brothers and sisters. And the first question that comes to your mind is what? Are you telling me that I am supposed to die for everyone? Because that seems like, that seems like a stretch. Well, I want to challenge you to expand that view for a second. How can we expand it past dying for someone? Well, what I mean is this. Laying down your life for someone means a whole lot of different things. Okay? Jesus was homeless. Jesus didn't have... He didn't know where he was going to stay when he went in different towns. They often didn't know where they were going to eat next. He had nothing in this place. Jesus was the son of God. He could have had everything. And yet he chose to have nothing so that we might know him and know God. So does laying down our life mean just that we need to die for someone else? It doesn't just mean that, you see. It means we also have to be willing to lay whatever we think our life should be down for the sake of someone else. Now this really applies, and we talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, but this really applies when we talk about grudges, revenge, and forgiveness. No one should ever have treated me that way. You know what? You might be right. But are you willing to lay down what you think you deserve so that this person might experience the love of God through you? Are you willing to do that? Because this is what we are called to. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has, this is important, but has no what? Pity, meaning that you see them and what does not happen? (laughs) Your heart is not moved. It's not that you didn't give them enough or you didn't sell it. Your heart wasn't moved and therefore you didn't respond. How can the love of God be in that person? The question, the obvious statement is, well, it's not. Because the love that God modeled for us is that we lay down our lives. And if we look at someone and don't even care what's happening to them, are we going to lay down our life for them? 
Nope. Which means we don't understand what? The love of God. John is challenging us here. And he's challenging us to not love like we love. He is challenging us to love like God loves. And he is challenging us again to, to not do the most human of things, which is to talk about how much we love someone without ever really doing anything to love them. That is the most human of things. Because we love the idea of love. We love to talk about it. We love all sorts of things. But what John is, is putting in front of us here is a love that moves past our words and challenges us to do something. And this is what it means to love like Jesus. It is not an inward thought process. It is not something that has to do with our brains. It's also just not something we do. But instead, it is a revolution that takes place inside of us to where we are moved to act out of love. 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. His commands are what? To believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love other people. Don't forget that. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Our hearts are the key to the equation. And we start thinking about how we live like Jesus. We need to remember this one thing. We don't do Christian things. We are followers of Jesus. We are those who have been changed. We are those who have experienced the love of God. And John gets to an important thing here, which I, you know, I, I want to give to you, and that's this. No one can tell you how far you have gone in your pursuit of loving someone. Like, you could come up to me afterwards and say, this is the situation I'm in, and this is the struggle, and this is, and what should I do? And I'll just tell you the answer I will give you today. You need to love like Jesus would. And I can't tell you if you've done that or not. I can't tell you if you've put yourself aside. I can't tell you if you are continuing to put yourself aside. I can't tell you if your pride is getting in the way because I don't know all of those things. I can guess. But you're the only one that knows. Your heart is the best indicator and if your heart is telling you that you haven't gone far enough, then you should listen to it. You should listen to it. Because God, who is the judge of our hearts, also knows the difference between how far, he knows the difference of how far we've loved and how far we've taken this thing. And the implication here is, is it's not that we won't ever have bad feelings. The implication is that our hearts are tender enough to seek restoration when there is division and that we will allow this restlessness that we feel to push us into loving other people.
the Bible talks a lot about moving from death to life, about being a new creation, about all these different things. And I, I love all of those passages. But the one thing that is driven home in me today is that Christians really are different. Followers of Jesus Christ really are different. A man had um, worked at a job for a long time, and but his life just was coming apart, and he wasn't feeling good about a lot of different things. It was it was getting hard for him to um, uh, to produce what he was normally producing. And he was so he just kind of faked it for a while, like he was still doing his job, he was still going to work, he was still doing all these things, and he, you know, he. He was able to put something out there and people were still pleased with the product, but he just knew that he probably couldn't keep this up for a long time. But he loved his job and he didn't want to leave his job and he needed the job. Like this was how he supported his family was through this work. But he just came to the point where he knew something was going to have to give. Like if he continued working like this, if he continued in this state of mind, it was just he wasn't going to be able to continue and something had to change. And so he went to his boss and he told his boss what was going on. And the boss said, okay, well, let me talk with the board of directors and we'll get together and we'll, we'll talk about how this goes. And so the board of directors got together and they came back and they said, what we want to do is we want to give you three months off. And we want you to do whatever you need to do in those three months to be healthy again. And we don't want you to rush yourself. If you feel like you need more than three months to get healthy and right again, then we want you to take that time. And if there is anything we can pay for or help you with while you're taking this time off, then you need to let us know that too. And then they took him in front of the entire organization, told everyone what kind of struggle this employee was having and put him in the middle of the room. And everyone in the room got up, walked over to that person, put their hands on him, and prayed for him. That happened to me in a church. And it wouldn't have happened anywhere else. We are different. And we're not different because we're better. We're not different because we curse less or we don't watch some TV show, or we don't listen to a certain kind of music. We are better because we love. And we love because God loves us, and we have moved from death to life, and we rejoice in life. And we view life as an opportunity to love other people and to set them free from a world that holds every grudge against them, everything they've done wrong, that doesn't forget anything. And we say, come and meet our God who wants to forget because he loves you. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the love of your son, Jesus. We are grateful for the way that he laid down his life for us. God, as you call us to love others, 
May we listen to our hearts. And when our heart tells us we need to go further, may we go further. When our heart tells us that we need to lay ourselves down again, may we lay ourselves down again. And Father, may your spirit that is in us give us the restlessness we need to continue to push ourselves to love more and more deeply. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you have any need for encouragement this morning or prayers, we invite you to come forward as we sing this song together.